Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Thanks for joining. My name is Brad Johnson, and I'm the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel. In each episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast, it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. On this episode, I'm joined by special guest Alan Moore. He's the co-founder of the XY Planning Network, along with the name many of you may recognize, Michael Kitsis. Just a quick aside, for those of you listening on the audio and not watching along via video, Alan references putting Michael on his shoulder early in the interview. No worries. It's just a bobblehead. They aren't doing acro yoga or anything like that. So just thought I'd cover that real quick. So what is XYPN? It's a platform for financial advisors that want to start and run their fee-only financial planning firm to serve X and Y generation clients, largely ignored by traditional firms. They currently have over 250 advisory firms in their network. Alan is also the host of a popular podcast, XYPN Radio, which along with this podcast is one of the few out there specifically designed for independent financial advisors. In this conversation, we discuss how Alan transitioned from a brick and mortar office to a practice that runs almost 100% virtual appointments. Originally, this was so Alan could relocate to Bozeman, Montana, so he could, as he says, hit the slopes over lunch if he wanted. We do a deep dive into exactly how he was able to move multiple states away from his existing client base and continue to have a thriving firm. We cover the conversations he had with clients to successfully set up the transition, the must-have apps and other software he uses to conduct business virtually, and the reaction he received from many of his clients when doing virtual appointments that absolutely surprised him. Besides the virtual practice conversation, we discuss how Alan developed marketing strategies that brought him clients from across the U.S., how using virtual tools can improve your customer acquisition rates, Alan's favorite book that helped him get where he is today, and lastly, we wrap up with one of my favorite parts of the interview, the three questions Alan uses with clients to help them identify their ideal life. This part's pure gold, so make sure you have a pen and paper ready for it. You'll want to write them down. Lastly, in the spirit of helping you transition to virtual appointments, our team helped create an awesome tool, a guide for doing annuity business virtually. It's available to download free at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash Allen, A-L-A-N. As always, show notes that include links to all the resources, books mentioned, everything else we cover are available there as well. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Alan Moore. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast. I have special guest Alan Moore here with us today, co-founder of the XY Planning Network. So for those of you out there that follow Twitter or any social media, these guys are absolutely out there crushing it. Have a, a fairly large podcast at this point. Not that hasn't been running that long, Alan, but you already have a fairly massive following. So welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. And your partner in crime over there, also another Twitter guy, a guy named Michael Kitsis. I got that right? Yes, I can put him on my shoulder for all the viewers, for the guardian <laughs> angel sitting back there. <laughs> well, so I'm just going to hop in and dig in because I know you've got a ton of very cool ideas with your guys' expertise. Just so everybody that's not familiar with XY Planning Network or maybe not you or Michael, can you just share, number one, what XY is and number two, how it all came to be? 
Yeah, so XYPN is basically a platform for financial advisors that want to start or run their own kind of financial planning firm to serve Gen X and Gen Y clients. And we didn't mean to pick a lot of fights in the industry, but uh, we ended up taking on the industry kind of head on because uh, so many of us that are younger kind of started our own firms. And we said, we want to do things differently. We don't want to be stuck in kind of being told this is the way things have always been done. We don't want to be forced to do face-to-face meetings. We don't want to be forced to only work with older, wealthy clients. You know, what What if I want to serve 30-year-olds? What if I want to be fee-only? What if I you know, want to be able to move around the country and not have to worry about having an office space? And we just kept being told at every turn, you can't do it. can't be done. People will never work with you. And uh, the, the best way to ensure my success is to tell me something can't be done. I love a good fight. And, but what I've, I've come to realize is that many young advisors were discouraged by it, it's kind of the establishment telling them constantly, you can't do it, you can't do it. And so we established the network as a way to basically pick those fights and let Michael Kitsis and myself kind of take those on and, and build a community of advisors that wanted to do things a little differently, wanted to do things their own way. And so we honestly got started because I got tired of answering the phone from young planners asking me how I started my own firm. It was kind of a market need that uh, after literally 100 phone calls in a matter of 12 months, that I, I spent an hour on the phone with 100 different associate advisors talking about you know how to do compliance, how to select a CRM, how to work virtually, how to market yourself. Uh, we decided, hey, let's just pull together a, the group of young advisors out there that own their own firm and kind of put them in a community together makes us a bulk buyer so we can provide discounts on services and technology and all this. And we kind of got started from there back in would have been April of 2014. So just over two years ago now. Wow. And from our conversation prior to going live here, sounds like it's, it's taken off very, fairly quickly for you guys. Yeah. You know, it, we like to joke, we have no idea how big the market size is, which for anyone that's starting a business, you know, is a really bad thing to say. You know, everyone wants to know how big is the market? And we don't know because we just, what we know is that there's a lot of advisors out there that I think get burnt out on the industry because of, you know, they're, they're just in the wrong fit in terms of a position or a firm or the way that the firm is set up. And I think we, we're losing a lot of talent that gets churned out by various companies, as well as, you know, and, and that spans from the commission side all the way to the fee only side, where I think there are a lot of older advisors selling, I'll say, the bill of goods on succession planning and how, you know, come in and I'll sell you my firm in five to 10 years, but they don't put it in the contract. So it never actually happens. And so we just kind of see this huge swath of young planners that are looking to, to try things a little different. And so to your point, we've got about just over 250 advisory firms now in our network and growing. So we're thrilled to see the marketplace that's out there and, and to be able to serve them as best we can. Cool. So with that in mind, what I would love to pick your brain on, because I know you're, you're very tech savvy, you know, you take the, I guess, the spectrum and you guys are on the leading edge and not everybody, <laughs> not everybody in the financial services space is. And so we were chatting and I want to, I'd love to hear a little bit of this story, but I'll give the, the Cliff's Notes version for mm-hmm. the viewers and listeners today. You were in Atlanta, Georgia, which I think where your, your practice was primarily based, your financial planning practice. That's actually where I was born and raised, but my, I started my practice in Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you make the jump to Wisconsin and then there's this outdoor side of you that wants to ski over lunchtime, if I'm getting that right. Yep. This is during the week, not during the weekend. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So you find Bozeman, Montana. 
as the most ideal place to do this from the ski over lunch standpoint. And then you transitioned a financial firm. And for everybody here that's obviously financial advisors listening in, most of us think of an appointment as face-to-face. Mm-hmm. I sit across the conference room table with my clients or prospects. And you went ahead and left a practice that was doing well in Wisconsin, right? Leap over to Bozeman where you somehow were able to maintain that client base, work with them virtually in Wisconsin, but also start up a new practice in Bozeman. And some of those people you met with face-to-face, but some also you met virtually. Is that right? Yeah, that's a great summary. Okay, so how did you do that? I'm sure it was, <laughs> so I'm sure it was when, easy, right? When you put it that way, no, you know, it's kind of funny when you're in the middle of, of doing things like that, you don't think anything of it and you just think, hey, you just do what you have to do. And whenever you come out on the on the other end of it, you realize the mistakes you made and, and you know the, the good points. But I'll, I'll say that the reason for the move, and I think that that's the most important key, because I think there are a lot of advisors out there that say, well, do I have to work virtually? I want to meet with all my clients in person and, and network locally and all that. I'm like, that's fine. This is, you know, don't should on yourself. You don't, there's no should to working virtually. It's, you know, what I did was I looked at my own life and I said, am I living my great life? You know, my job, in my opinion, is to help my clients live their great lives, figure out what that great life is, and then really chase it and use money to support that life. And I realized I myself was not actually living my great life. And so I said, well, it's going to require me to, to make a move. I didn't want to be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I really had no ties there. It was a great city. It just wasn't home for me. And so picked Bozeman and, and made the leap. And so I will say I didn't do it overnight. I kind of made the decision overnight that I was going to do it, but it was about an 18-month transition. And so what I did was, one, I was just honest with my clients. And I sat down and I, and I met with every client at our next kind of quarterly review meeting. And I said, hey, this is something I'm going to be doing. I'd like to move out there. I think that this is what you know I'm really passionate about and something that I really enjoy. And you know, I, I hope you understand. I'm still going to be providing great service. Still going to be working with you. You know, my service model isn't going to change. You're still going to get great service. You have access to me by email and phone, just like you always have. And you know, I'm just going to be living a few states over. And honestly, I got no pushback. I, I think that was the most surprising thing for advisors is clients were just like, okay. And, and truth be told, though, you know, I work with younger clients. And, you know, most of my clients in their 30s and 40s um, had a couple that that were in their 60s. But one, they, you know, Gen X, Gen Y, we're the most mobile generations in history. Gen Y is the most mobile generation in history. They tend to change jobs every three to four years. They move quickly. They move across state lines more so than the baby boomers did. So they were probably going to move away from me at some point anyway. You know, so it, it wasn't like a, you know, everyone's going to stay in Milwaukee and Alan, the advisor is going to just bail. Most of my clients were going to move anyway. You know, mm-hmm. the ones that were already virtual were virtual. They didn't care, but my local ones for the most part were leaving. And so they said, okay, you know, this, the advisor leaves a little earlier than we do. And so in order to get them used to it, what I did was I traveled, I spent every other month in Montana. So I spent January and March. And so what I would do is just schedule my meetings with my Wisconsin clients when I was in Montana. So I would say, hey, the next meeting we're going to do virtually. And then two meetings out, we're going to do face-to-face. And what I found was, you know, one, they were totally understanding. They wanted to get used to it, get the technology set up. But after that first virtual meeting, I never got them back in my office in Wisconsin. Because they just, they were like, this is great. I can just be at home. I don't have to deal with parking and traffic and childcare and taking a half day off work. And they loved it. And so... uh I kind of I gave myself kind of eighteen months to make the transition, which was probably longer than I actually needed before I made the move. And clients stayed with me. I didn't lose a single client over the transition. Wow, didn't lose one. That's incredible. So uh, what's interesting is, I mean, you say X Y generation, but I look. Most of our clients, most of our advisors are serving the retirees. So you know, more your baby boomer generation on up, and 
I think what's interesting is your higher net worth retirees, they want to travel. And, you know, a lot of them actually have second homes, Florida's, Arizona's, places like that. So you look at this, if you have a process, if your quarterly review process or whatever that looks like in your world today, it's actually helping you engage with any of your clients at a higher level that's more convenient for them. So, so it's totally interesting. Agree. I know your, your client base is a little younger than what our skew, but I don't think it makes it any less valuable to be able to have a virtual appointment. Agreed. And I think, you know, if, when I look at, you know, clients in their sixties, they've been talking to their grandkids on Skype for five or six years now. They've all got smartphones. They're all on Facebook. This is not as crazy as it was five years ago for, mm-hmm. for working with retired clients. Now we'll say, you know, the one thing that retired clients have that younger clients, young professionals don't have is time. You know, retired mm-hmm. clients are Tuesday afternoon, come to the advisor's office. It's the highlight of the week. I mean, they're excited to come see us a lot of times. Uh, young professionals don't have the time. And so they were more, I think they were just thrilled to have the option to be able to meet virtually just because it was just so much more efficient for them. But even with the retired clients, they're used to the technology. They generally already have it set up. And to your point, they're not local either. I mean, my retired clients travel all the time, you know, because, you know, if they're working with me, then they've probably set themselves up financially. And like I said, they may be spending six months in Arizona or Florida. And mm-hmm. so you can just open it up and say, Hey, when you're in Arizona, we'll meet with you virtually and see how it goes. You know, you don't have to make this, doesn't have to be this huge, like one day I'm in person and the next day I'm virtual. Uh, you can really just open it up and kind of and push it out and say, Hey, this is a new option that we're offering to be more convenient for you and see how it goes. And what you'll mm-hmm. find is that you may start getting more and more meetings virtually to the point that you may not actually get folks in your office <laughs> anymore. So what was the biggest surprise you found when, when you're making this transition from in-face to virtual? You know, one of the surprises was when I ended up having basically two offices. So I'm showing on my website, I have an office in, in Bozeman and I have an office in Milwaukee was my new prospects and the clients that were coming to me didn't live in either state. Hmm. which was odd to me. It was not something I expected. But once I showed that I worked virtually because I worked in multiple locations, suddenly I started getting clients in California and Nebraska and Georgia. I ended up with with clients in something like 12 or 15 states before uh, when I ultimately ended up selling my practice. They were all over because they view, because suddenly I, I almost established a niche, which is ridiculous that, that working virtually could, could imply a niche. But it was offering a service that that my target market was looking for and having multiple offices kind of screamed, hey, I work virtually. And uh, so my surprise was that ultimately, one, I didn't lose any clients. That was a big shock. And then two, the new clients started coming in. Uh, you know, They came from all over and they didn't know any better and didn't really care. They were looking for someone that specialized in their particular needs and not just the, the advisor that lived closest to them. And, and that allowed me to kind of showcase that for myself. It's interesting. Well, first off, if you've got some XY planning network, that was two niches that I just counted. So they feel <laughs> feel free. They can. I know you've got a fun little game on your guys' podcast. We can, we can bring that over. I'm cool with that too. So there, there's two of them. So as I, I think about that, I never thought about that, but just the fact that it shows that you can work virtually, that became a new marketing avenue for you. How did that come about? Were they referrals from your clients where they just happened to have friends in other states and they were like, yeah, we can do these virtual appointments mm-hmm. so he could work with you? I did get a couple that way, like a sister of a client that was looking for an advisor that lived in Kansas, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But for the most part, my marketing was all done kind of content marketing version anyway. I did a lot of YouTube videos, blogging, social media, I had a newsletter that went out to several thousand prospects, kind of that I built my newsletter list over time. And 
you know, being listed on various association websites like NAPFA, FPA, CFP board, kind of all these various places. And so folks are finding me online, honestly. And so they weren't looking, mm-hmm. you know, I found that my prospects weren't looking for a financial advisor, Bozeman, they were looking for, you know, financial advisor that specializes in, uh, you know, startup business owners, which is kind of the niche that I, I kind of developed into was, was helping clients that were also starting a business because I love those conversations around personal finance and the business finance and integrating them and talking marketing on the business as well as retirement planning on the personal. And so they were just kind of finding me that way. The the other way that I got a lot of business and honestly, I built my back on the referrals from other financial advisors. And so what I found was there are a lot of advisors out there that just say, hey, look, I'm happy with my million dollar and up you know, clients focused on local practice and that sort of thing. But whenever you know they they've built this brand and they get a lot of client referrals and uh, they were turning away all these prospects and so they would send them to me you know and they say well we don't really work virtually or you know we would only work with people with a million dollars or more or we don't have an expertise in student loans so they would I was just the name that came to mind because I had kind of an established brand within the advisory community and that worked great too so it's the shotgun effect of marketing I'm a big fan of kind of throw a lot against the wall and see what sticks and and you may find that a lot of various things work well and and you can kind of build out that sales funnel over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so if I'm an advisor and you've already kind of done some of this with your planning network, but I say, "Alan, all right, I want to go be a ski bum and mm-hmm. I want to work half the year in Colorado or or wherever that place is." If I was going to say these are the four or five steps to jumping to virtual appointments, can you walk through what those are and also some of the technology that you utilize to be able to make that happen? Great question. So I think step one is you've got to have a story to tell. And, and I think it's about being honest with your clients. I don't think you need to hide this. I don't think you need to try to you know, mask it as, oh, well, I have to do this. I think you can just tell your clients, look, this is something I really want to do. You know, And, and I want to live. I, I just got an email from an advisor who wants to spend six months a year in Alaska. I've gotten uh, emails from other advisors say, I want to take six months a year off. How do I do that? How do I work every other month? And that's just the lifestyle that they want. So I would actually say maybe even step one is define your ideal life. You know, stop living this. I have to work nine to five because I've been told that's the way it's always been done. And and I will make as much money as I can in that nine to five, which ends up being, you know, eight to eight for a lot of entrepreneurs, six days a week. And so really define what what's the ideal lifestyle for you. And you know, that could be meaning being a ski bum, you can go live somewhere else six months a year. It may mean you just want to volunteer in your kid's school on Tuesdays and you want to be classroom mom or dad. It may mean that you just want to spend more time with family. It doesn't have to be this, you know, eccentric, you know, nomadic traveling lifestyle, but really just define what's your ideal life and look at how do you design the business to support that lifestyle. And I would argue that most people, whenever they really go through and are really clear uh, with themselves and, and their partner about what's an ideal life, being able to meet virtually with clients fits in there somewhere. It just tends to happen. And so once you've kind of made that decision, uh, you can make the decision if you want to be all virtual or just partial virtual. Um, I don't think there's a right answer. Again, it just kind of depends on your life and it gets what excites you. And so you may decide you want to do half your meetings virtually, half of them in person doesn't really matter. Just kind of figure that out for yourself and then communicate it to clients and explain why it is that you want to do those things. Uh, I think they're understanding. You know, in my experience is that we become friends with our clients. They're not just another customer that's in and out. And so we have these great relationships with our clients. And I think they want us to be happy as much as we want to help them be happy. And so it's okay to say, hey, 
you know, this is kind of what I'm doing. And then the next step is, is I would say just kind of phase it in and, and talk about technology. You know, for this podcast recording, we're using Zoom. This is a wonderful software for virtual meetings. You can use Skype just because it's something that clients pretty much have all used at some point in their past. It's free. Just go, you know, sign up for it. If you have older clients and you need to create a little screenshot tutorial on how, how they can log into Skype and call you, you totally can do that. But just show it to them and make it an offering and, and just kind of see what happens. I think advisors will be surprised how easy it is. Uh, I think sometimes we can make it harder on ourselves because we look for excuses on why everything won't work. Uh, but <laughs> once you just say, hey, we can meet on Skype and, and here's the option, see what happens. You know, and, and every meeting that you schedule for the next six months, say, hey, would you rather meet in person or do you just want to meet on Skype? And you, know, you can just call me on video. And I bet over half the folks will, will say video. Along those lines, because I've been doing virtual appointments like this for years, just from a financial advising coaching standpoint. And five years ago, some of that technology was, I mean, you had to download another plugin, all types of stuff. Join.me is another one I found is incredibly easy. Uh, it's free. You send them a link, they click it, and now they can see your screen. And then they have a paid version where you can do video as well. So it's, yeah, it's been amazing awesome. technology is software yeah. get much more intuitive. So let's take a step back there. The defining of ideal life. And I just think about, I think everybody gets to a point where they become friends with their clients, right? If they're running a great business and it's, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And I just think about if I'm sitting there on a cell phone or on a video like this, and I happen to be at a pool, how much more of a personal connection that is with my clients because they see the real me. I'm a real person just like them. I have kids running around. So can you speak to maybe how that has changed the relationship on some of these clients? And also, I know you've got a really interesting calendar software that allows them to either mm. book virtual or in the office and they actually can choose and how you integrated that. Two, two questions. questions. Yeah, no, I love the I love the the question about changing the relationship with clients. So, you know, if we remember back in the day, you know, not too long ago, a lot of advisors actually went to clients' homes because they they realized one, it was more convenient for the client, and two, it was much more intimate to be in a client's space than have the client in the advisor's kind of sterile conference room environment. And I think video is actually the best of both worlds. It allows us to get into a client's home and allows them to kind of maybe see the real us if, if we're not in the office. But it also allows that efficiency and just makes it easier on the client, again, to avoid them having to come down to the office. And I can't tell you how many new babies I have met, new cats and dogs. Cats will inevitably walk across the laptop when you're meeting. You get to meet the pets. You get to meet the kids. You know, I, I work with a lot of young professionals that are having babies. And, you know, it's not comfortable for the mom to bring in a, a newborn and, and breastfeed in front of me. Well, if they're in my office, now she's got to go and she you know, wants to go into another room and, and it kind of interrupts the meeting. With a webcam, I can just turn it. I can't see her now. And she's still a part of the meeting. It's great. And so it's just little things like that that you realize, you know, it just it's so much more convenient and comfortable for the client and just makes it easier. And again, it all depends on your target market, kind of who you're who you specialize in working with, but especially younger folks that, that are in these various situations. I think it's great. And to your point, working with older clients, they can see you next to a pool. That's okay. I don't think we need to be the, you know, the suit and tie across from the mahogany table anymore. I don't think that that's what clients expect of us. We don't need to show how rich we are because we're going to make our clients rich. I think the the relationship that financial advisors have with our clients is changing so dramatically and so fast, honestly, in just the last five or 10 years that you can show up to work in a t-shirt and jeans if you want. I show up and I speak at, at industry conferences in a t-shirt and jeans and I have a beard 
And it makes me look very awkward in financial planning, but you know what? I'm comfortable. It's who I am. It's me. If I show up in a suit, I'm not going to be myself. So if you're the, you know, the, the person that wants to show up in a t-shirt and jeans, that's fine. I was talking to a, a young planner recently that is getting into financial planning. He is a rocker. I mean, he's got a mohawk, purple hair. He's got piercings. And we look at this guy, we say like, well, he's not a financial advisor. You know, he doesn't wear a suit. He's saying like, do I need to shave my hair, take out all the piercings? I'm like, heck no, dude. There are so many rocker type prospects out there that want an advisor that speaks their language. Be yourself. And if somebody shows up and goes, oh my gosh, you're not professional enough for me. Excellent. You've already weeded that client out from coming in and being your client. You wouldn't have liked to work with them anyway. You know, they say good marketing should repel more more clients than it attracts. And so that's a great way to do it is just be yourself, be comfortable. And again, if you want to be virtual, you want to show up in a t-shirt, that's fine. The second part of your question in terms of calendaring software, one of my kind of must-have technologies, even if you're still doing all in-person meetings, is get scheduling software. It's like 19 bucks a month. So it is practically free for the amount of time that it saves you. I have been a big fan of schedule once for financial advisors. There are a lot of options out there. I also use Calendly, which is another one that I prefer Calendly, but schedule once has a little more flexibility for advisors. So I generally push them that direction. But yeah, you can set it up with different services, you know, an introductory call, you know, with the advisor, you know, discovery meeting, presentation meeting, quarterly review, whatever your meeting structure is, and then give them the options. Is it going to be in person? Is it going to be phone call or video? And let the clients just choose. And then the follow-up emails that are coming out of the system are all automated. And it says, oh, if it's a video meeting here, the Skype instructions, how to log in. You can set up reminders and, and that sort of thing. It will save you so much time. Uh, if nothing else, to just be able to email your 100 clients for the quarterly review meeting with a link that says, hey, click here to schedule. And it goes right on your calendar. Uh, the reason I like schedule once is you can approve meetings instead of some of the other ones are just automated. They put themselves on your calendar. Schedule once, you can force them to choose two or three different times. You say, okay, I like this one better than this one. And it just goes on your calendar and you'll never double book. It just puts it right there. It makes it super easy for clients. So uh, that is definitely one of my must-have technologies for any advisor. But specifically, if you're going to be working virtually, and kind of caveats to that, especially if you're traveling, time zones become a nightmare just in managing time zones. And so having electronic scheduling lets the client choose their time zone. It puts it on your calendar in your time zone which makes it so much easier. You don't have to deal with, oh, did you mean Eastern or Central? I'm going to be in mountains. So what's the conversion kind of thing? For the old school advisors that are sitting there thinking, sounds great. My clients don't check email or <laughs> what, what percentage, and I know you're dealing with the younger clientele, but let's say you blast out that email and let's say 50% book through there. What's your backup plan for those that don't? Well, whatever you normally do, you know, if you normally call all of your clients, let's say you have 100 clients and you normally make 100 phone calls. Uh, well, now you only have to make 50. So you just saved 50 phone calls, make the phone calls. And maybe say, hey, just to let you know in the future, you're going to be getting an email from me every quarter. So be sure you're checking your email around the first of the quarter because we're going to be emailing you to schedule. And maybe you don't capture 100% of your clients. But if it just saves you 50% of those phone calls, because you've, you've made those phone calls, you have to call 100 people. And guess what? They're all out and you leave a hundred voicemails and they all call you back after you're not in the office to schedule the meeting. And it's just, it's back and forth, back and forth. Scheduling is a nightmare. So uh, just making that available is, you know, fantastic. And the other thing too, is you, you have two sets of clients in my opinion, you have existing clients and your, your future clients. Existing clients are always a little more of a challenge to change their, however they've been operating with you. They just tend to kind of do the same thing. So you have to make some tweaks and kind of push it a few times. 
new clients, I don't know the difference. You've never called them to schedule client, uh, you know, schedule client meetings. So they're just used to getting the, getting the calendar invite. Mm -hmm. So over time, within a year or two, you'll probably find a much higher percentage of your clients are adopting. What's interesting, and I was just thinking about this, is most dentists have better scheduling processes than financial advisors. Yes, they do. <laughs> and, and I mean, can you think about it? You get the email. A lot of them have the little robot voice voicemails, text some of them. So on these calendaring services, are they all email-based or do they have spots in there where you can enter cell phones and they'll text reminders for meetings? What, what does that look like on the back end? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know that we have any, I don't know that I've ever tested a system that has SMS or text messaging built in quite that cleanly, but mm -hmm. it's a great thing that probably need to look into because I, I think that, I think you make a great point that, you know, I have looked for a dentist before and called a couple and they don't pick up and they don't leave a voicemail. And then I find the one with the home scheduling and I book with them immediately. But, you know, yes, I know compliance is a concern, but fortunately we're finally getting some companies that can uh, archive text messages and, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing, but voicemail should be fine. So, I've not seen it, uh, but it'll definitely be something to look into because that that would be really cool. And, and I agree that would definitely increase the uh, the number of people booking if you could hit them with an email and a text and a phone call within a 72 hour period until they book, basically. Well, if you find one, Alan, pass it on to me because we'll, we'll use do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's keep going. Let's stay on the tech front. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. So we talked about some calendaring softwares. What other tools, apps, obviously you, you work with a client virtually, you've got to do paperwork virtually. Mm -hmm. Can we start to segue into what's the, I guess the back office tools that you've had to find to be able to make that happen. Great question. I would say, you know, it kind of depends on, again, we have virtual local and virtual travel. We'll just say, so virtual local, meaning you want to run a local business, you're still going to go into an office and you're going to work from a desk because you don't want to work from home, but you're going to meet virtually with a lot of clients. It's not quite as critical to have all the technology in place. I still encourage it. But if you're going to travel, you need to be able to travel with basically nothing but a laptop or you're going to be in a world of hurt. So for instance, if you still have a, a server sitting in your office, please get rid of it immediately, no matter what. <laughs> Even if you think the rest of this is a crock and you will never meet virtually, uh, please get rid of your server. What if One, you still have a bunch of file cabinets with papers in them? Oh, burn them. Just burn them. Because when was the last time you ever actually read any of them? Please hire some $15 an hour folks to come in and scan all of your paperwork. It'll take them a summer and it'll be done. I did not say unpaid internships. I want to be very clear. Hire someone, pay them to come in, You know, have them scan all, all those filing cabinets and then burn them. Uh, don't even give yourself the option to have physical paper. Mainly because, I mean, one, it's just so easy to lose. It's so easy for, uh, for in-house servers to get hacked, to go down. I have worked in situations where we had servers crash. And even with the best backups in place, we were at about 50% capacity for almost six months as we tried to recoup everything that was going on. So, uh, you know, if I came in and literally burned your office down tomorrow, how would you operate? If it would cause an issue, fix it is really my recommendation. So you can do it. There's so much we, I mean, we could talk for days on data encryption and data security and things like that. That's a topic for another day, but go cloud-based, get everything in the cloud that you can. The cloud is safer than a server in your office. I have never heard a valid argument otherwise. And it does allow you to work virtually, honestly. I mean, it allows you to work from a coffee shop or work from Alaska or work from home or whatever it is that you want to do. You need to be able to just work from, from your laptop. In terms of kind of back office, things like paper, you know, getting electronic signatures is huge. Pretty much all of the custodians now integrate with some form of document signing. Uh, most of the big, the big three, Schwab, Fidelity, and TD, all integrate with DocuSign. 
Uh, and so go get it. I think it's free through all three of those custodians. And uh, you what can was that? It was DocuSign was the tool DocuSign. you just signed. Yep. And for everybody that's listening and watching, by the way, all this will be in show notes. So if you're scribbling yes. like crazy, just go to the show notes <laughs> for our show. We'll we'll link everything. Okay, go ahead. Sorry to yeah, interrupt. So so contact your you know your your rep at, at the custodian and just say, hey, what do you have available for electronic signatures? They have something in this day and age. So you know, just for instance, I had a client one time. We've all been in this situation. They were opening three or four accounts, so no big deal. But we had you know a TOD, we had a couple beneficiary designations, we had transfer paperwork for each of them, and when I printed it all from a custodian, it was almost it was something like 350 pages of paperwork, right? We've all had that stack. Now, if you're in person, you know, you can sit there or have, you know, your assistant go through with them and have them, you know, wet ink everything. But what if you're that client lives, you know, somewhere else and you have to mail it to them? Are you going to mail it with those little sticky notes that say sign here, initial here? It's different colors for husband and wife. Like we've all, it does not work. I can tell you that because one of those little stickies will get folded up in and they won't sign it. Well, now the custodian won't take any of your paperwork because one signature didn't get put in there. With DocuSign, what you do is you you print all that information to PDF, just like you normally do. But instead of printing to a printer, you print to PDF, you upload it to DocuSign and you go through and you put signature blocks. So, you know, husband here, wife here, advisor here, signatures, names, initials, checkboxes, everything. And literally, it emails to the client and the client. So, you know, you send it to the client, wife, wife goes through, she signs where she's supposed to sign. When she hits done, if she hasn't signed everywhere, it goes back and makes her sign somewhere. If she missed a spot, it goes to the husband, he goes through and signs everything, comes to the advisor, you sign everything, and it's done. So, so for those listening that aren't familiar, when you say sign, they're typing their name in a PDF? Or, or how is the actual signature hap- happening? So there's a couple of different ways. Um, it used to be that, that we always recommended what we call biometric signature, which is literally where you take the mouse and sign it. Mm-hmm. Most of the custodians actually aren't even requiring that these days. They'll just allow you to basically type your name and it creates a signature. Uh, the technology is just so good now. Uh, and those signatures have been upheld in pretty much every state now that it's the same legal signature as a wet signature that they sign, you know, sign with pen and paper. And so sometimes they can just type it. Sometimes they'll literally sign it with a mouse, but uh, mm-hmm. there's no actual pen. It's all done on the computer and you can do it on your smartphone, iPad. It's all really easy. Uh, but I will say that, that, you know, whenever I sent that 350 page document to my clients, I got it back in 10 minutes and it was all signed correctly. The only issue is if I had made a mistake in where to put a signature, and if I did, I could send it back and ask for one more signature. It's just so, so easy. So that's another, you know, cheap or even free, depending on your custodian, they may make it free for you, uh, that we just haven't done for whatever reason. We haven't felt a need to adopt that kind of technology. But once you do, I promise you will never go back to uh, getting clients to sign everything in person. Alan, I'm going to hit pause right there because first of all, I'm thinking on this on two fronts. Number one, you're bringing back nightmares. I was opening a Fidelity account. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to sell this short. The paperwork sat on my desk for six months mm. because I looked at it and it was a massive homework assignment for me. <clears throat> and because of that, that account didn't get open for six months. Mm. So I know we're on this and we're talking about what seems like a very operations, new business, very unsalesy topic. But for actually... I look at a lot of these startups, the apps, you know, they're creating apps. The biggest thing they look at is what is the ease of use for the client? You look at companies like Betterment. I've opened an account on Betterment. It was less than five minutes. 
And so I would challenge every advisor that looks at this as monotonous paperwork conversation we're having right now. This is actually an incredible client acquisition conversation if you make this easy and seamless for your clients. I totally agree. Yeah, I actually was giving a presentation one time where I, I was talking about how easy Betterment, how easy it is to open an account at Betterment or Schwab's Intelligent Portfolios, any of those services. And uh, I literally had an advisor open an IRA before I got to the next slide in my presentation because it is that quick. And now I will say the custodians are are coming slowly. We are getting some better technology, but yeah, if, if you look at the data metrics, just on things like if it. Uh, let's say you have a, we've all been to websites where they ask for your email address, you know, to get their newsletter. If you ask for their name and email address, your conversion rate drops tremendously than if you Mm -hmm. only ask for email. If you ask for first name, last name, email, it drops even more tremendously. The easier you can make things for your clients, the better. And so making, you know, signing paperwork, just a few clicks could be the difference between signing a client on today versus six months from now or getting accounts moved. And you know, if you let account paperwork sit there for six months, the information gets stale, you're having to repool bank account statements, you're having to, you know, update all the paperwork. It's kind of a mess. So yeah, just if you can, the easier you can make it from your client. So I always encourage advisors, just sit in your client's seat and think about it from their perspective. Do they really want to play phone tag with you to schedule their next meeting? Do they really want to have to swing by the office to sign a bunch of paperwork with their significant other because they're opening joint accounts? No, probably not. You know, they probably make want to make it easier, and and it will also benefit your back office and operations. All right. So I'm, I don't, Alan. What's your background? What did you go to school for? Was it IT based? Financial planning. So I have an undergrad okay. and master's in family financial planning. Okay. So the IT side was just something that you've been interested in. You know, I'm not. I'm really not that much of a techie. Uh, it is kind of amusing that in the financial planning world, I'm, I'm kind of held up as this like tech forward advisor because, truth be told, I have no background in it. I'm sitting on my iPad right now because my PC crashed. And I can't figure out how to fix it, and so I'm going to be ordering a Mac because I'm going to call Apple support every time they every time I have a problem. Now, you know, I I do enjoy tinkering, and so I like to get in and just kind of play around with things. But I am really good at one thing when it comes to technology, and that is Googling. If you have a question about how technology works, somebody else has had that problem and just Google it. So if you're saying like, what's the best scheduling system for this? Type it into Google and the answer will pop up. If you're having a problem with your Google Apps account or anything, honestly, just ask Google and it probably has the answer. So no, I mean, I you know grew up with tech. I'm a little old. I'm old enough to remember getting our first computer, but not too much before then. So uh, you know, I guess I just grew up with it. But honestly, I'm, I'm no programmer. I don't code. I don't do any of that. I'm uh, just a financial advisor that likes to be efficient, honestly. That's a great answer because I think some people, financial advisors, it's just, it's daunting, it's overwhelming. And so they just don't do it. And I think if you take one thing from this call as a listener, if you're watching the video here, if you're not doing it, you're going to become extinct because technology is advancing. And if you're sitting here and you can't, help a client open up an account in less than five minutes and everybody else on the block or online now can, it's a serious issue for your business down the road. So you you uh, bring up a great point. And that is, you know, financial planning, I would say we're one of the most stuck behind the times mm -hmm. industry that we have out there. And we have been stuck for so long. I mean, we are literally doing things. I worked at a firm, we had paper trade tickets in 2012 that we were still submitting ETF trades on a piece of paper. 
if we were still doing that, the problem is we've been stuck for so long. Now, all of a sudden, financial planning is catching up with other industries. Instead of taking a decade to do it, we're going to take about two years to get there. We will catch up and we're going to do it really, really fast. So instead of having 10 years to make the move, we just kind of relaxed the days ago, didn't make any changes. And now all of a sudden, we're going to have to change everything at once. Uh, I will warn advisors out there, if you're running a practice and you plan to be running this practice in another five to 10 years, I would argue every single step of the process, every piece of technology, every internal process workflow, everything will change in the next several years. Every piece of technology you're using will either get updated or you're going to have to change CRMs, change performance reporters, adopt scheduling software. And if your firm looks the same in a few years as it does today, you're probably going to be extinct. It's just a reality. Well, everybody just probably hit pause right now because we just... <laughs> and we're done. This guy's so crazy. It's you and me. <laughs> so, but along the, the process, something that we... I'll, I'll share a tool that's been incredibly helpful for our team. Actually, I got it from Michael Hyatt originally. It's web-based. It's called Sweet Process. Have you heard of it? I have not. Okay. So going back to the systems and the processes you just talked about. So let's say onboarding a new client. And here's the 15 steps that it takes, whether it's virtual or in person. Well, what happens is the ultra frustrating thing for advisors, because I've had these conversations many times is such and such on the team messed up this paperwork, lost a client, or it took an extra month, client was unhappy. Sweet process is you take anything that you do more than once in your office, it's web-based, and it creates, like it says, a sweet process, step-by-step. What's really unique about the software is you can put screenshots in, you can diagrams, oh, nice. links. I think it's 50 bucks a month. Maybe it's less than that. I don't know. I know it's worth 10 times what we pay for, what it's done for our team. So for those of you out there that are just starting to get into those processes, we'll put it in the show notes, but sweetprocess.com is incredibly helpful. Definitely have to check that out. And you know, it's the issue in, in financial planning. Our technology is way behind the times too. There has not been a big investment in, in advisor facing fintech in a long time. Now we're finally starting to get some investments after you know, LearnVest sells for $350 million and eMoney sells for however many hundreds of millions of fidelity. Now people, developers are realizing like, oh, the advisor space is actually ripe for the picking and we can yeah. make money doing it, which means our systems will become more open over time. We'll be able to integrate them better. Our processes will get cleaner. But yet, you know, if you're looking at your onboarding process and it hasn't been updated in the last, you know, in, in the last 12 months, much less the last five or 10 years, take a look at it. Because if nothing else, clients may not be comparing you to other financial advisors, but they are comparing you to other industries. And when they can buy, mm. they can get a home mortgage online now, they're looking to their financial advisor trying to figure out why can't I open an account online? You know, why do I have to come into your office? And even if they're not articulating that to you, they are asking those questions. Uh, that's a great point you make. It actually, I did a flashback right there. Scott McCain was a guest two or three, oh, only the second or third show we ever did. Mm-hmm. And that was the point he made at business in general, because everything's now mobile, everything's on the web. Your client experience is compared to everyone's, including Apple's, including, yes. you know, best of class, Ritz Carlton type of client experiences. So if you're not somewhere stacking up remotely near, then it's an issue for your business or totally. it's, or it's an opportunity that you're not taking advantage of that you could. Yeah. In Montana, we like to say, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than your hiking buddy. Uh, <laughs> and if you're getting compared to other financial advisors, man, it's not hard to be faster than your buddy. Financial advisors are so behind, but we are going to get to a point in the next few years. I really believe that if you're not, you better be really fast. You better be on top of it because there will come a day in two, three, five, maybe it's 10 years. I don't know. But you're going to be sitting there 
And you're going to be thinking, wow, I really wish I had listened to Alan and Brad when they were talking about this because uh, it's not working for me anymore. So let's keep going down the path of tools you use because I think there's a lot of uncovered gems we haven't gotten to yet. So going back to your transition from in face-to-face appointments. Well, I say face-to-face. This is feels face-to-face. But <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> so on, on that front, we talked about calendaring. We talked about the DocuSign. What other tools did you need in place, technology tools to make that happen? You know, and again, these are the kinds of questions that I ask myself and I think somebody else must have come up with this, right? Like somebody has solved this problem. So one is password management. This is another area that I think advisors really struggle in. If you have a a document saved on your desktop called passwords, I don't care if it's a locked Excel document, I'm bringing a middle school kid that uh, can hack that very, very quickly. Don't store your passwords on your computer or on your in-house server or anywhere else. Use a password management tool that has 256-bit encryption that's military grade. If they can crack that, then I wouldn't be too stressed about anything else because they're probably robbing banks and not you. (laughs) But you can store your passwords. Um, I personally use LastPass. It's actually free and they do have an enterprise version. I don't use it, but I think last time I looked, I had over 450 usernames and passwords stored inside of my LastPass because every company, you know, every website has a different password requirements, X number mm-hmm. of characters. It's got to have a number. It's got to have a dash or, you know, it, it can accept these five characters, not these other special characters. And so you end up with all of these various passwords. So load those into the system. So the two ways you get hacked, one is is called brute force, where they literally, people just go in and start typing a bunch of random passwords until they get it right. The second way is actually through your security questions. So, you know, whenever you you have the world's best password, but, you know, you use my mother's maiden name and my, my pet's name is Fluffy, all that information is on Facebook. It's on social media. It's all out there. So that's the second way that you get hacked. So using a password management tool, you can actually create randomized answers So what's my mother's maiden name is a bunch of random characters and digits that's stored inside of LastPass. So if I screw something up, you know, with my password, I can basically block people from from using security questions as a way to get access. And you just have a very, very secure passphrase, not password, uh, that you rotate once a month, once a quarter, something like that. And it is amazing how much time that saves from not having to just constantly, one, either use the same password over and over, which is incredibly dangerous, or two, uh, keep forgetting your passwords and having to deal with all that. So that's another one. I highly recommend picking up some sort of password management tool. We use LastPass here as well. And oh, I, I, I finally threw in the towel a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, you know, I've got a pretty good memory, but at this day and age, you can't even keep up. And especially the bank website, you need to change your password every month, right? So LastPass, I'll I'll just kind of agree with you there because it will actually prompt a quick change, saves it, and you don't even have to think twice about it. So Yeah, whenever you change the password, it will say, do you want to update your password in LastPass? Mm -hmm. You say yes, and it pulls it good to go. So uh, one other thing that I'll share, and I'm sure you use it for this as well, working virtually, if we've got somebody that maintains my website, now I can Mm -hmm. share passwords with developers and then they just have access to be able to use it. And I can revoke that access if we use somebody else down the road. So that's another way to use it as well. Now, Rami, can they see the password inside of LastPass if you share it with them? You have settings inside of LastPass. So you can set that they don't actually see them. So they can, the only way they can log on is if they click the log on and it just auto logs them in. Gotcha. And I said, because we actually use a program called Meldium, which does that basically. And it's our way of sharing access to 
websites without actually sharing the password. So to your point, when you fire your web developer, you don't want to have to go in and figure out uh, what passwords did they have, what did they not have, you got to change them all. Uh, you can just revoke access. And so kind of similar to that. So we're using both. I may have to, to look more into LastPass to adopt some more of the enterprise features. You know, and when you get in there, it's a little clunky. You know, yeah, yeah oh, well, um, it, it's going to save you an immense amount of time and energy. On the virtual appointment, going back here, how do you swap files? What, what file sharing software are you guys using? You know, depends on who you ask. Ask your compliance person which document sharing software they like and, and their head will probably explode in flames. We pretty much know actual SEC and FINRA are not very clear on their requirements and what they're looking for. But what, what we believe is that they're looking for, I believe it's 128-bit encryption that they're kind of looking for just to be sure that, that you know, documents are safe. So there are a couple of options. One, you can just use Dropbox, which I think is the most commonly used one. However, Dropbox can view your documents technically uh, as part of their, their privacy policy. So you can encrypt them with a, a program called Boxcryptor. I think it's like eight bucks a month. It's super cheap, but it allows you to encrypt documents kind of going in and out. So only you and the client can see things inside of a shared folder, but then they can have it literally sitting on their desktop. They can drop files in. You can pull them out on your desktop. It makes it really easy. If you want to go one level further, you can look at Box. Uh, Box is, is another option. And I believe Box actually goes ahead and encrypts. It's more of a HIPAA certified type program. And HIPAA is my go-to that if something's HIPAA certified for privacy. It's probably okay for financial advisors. Just to be sure, you know, even things like tax returns, it does have pretty much everything on it that you need to steal someone's identity. So maybe encrypt that. I think actually just Dropbox, Google Drive, some of those basics are actually fine. We don't have any more guidance from regulators to know otherwise. But if you want to add an extra layer of encryption, you can. Makes sense. The second one was just Box, B-O-X. Mm -hmm. All right. So what, what technology tools do you use that we haven't talked about? Just going back to the theme of, I'm an advisor. Every single one of my appointments today is face-to-face. -face. I want to go virtual. Any other tools we haven't discussed that are, are must-haves? Yeah, I guess in the conversation of dropping your server, you may have to reevaluate some of your core technology. Now, if you're with a big firm, you can't just go in and change the CRM. But if you are a solo kind of doing your own thing, and you have some options. If you're still using, you know, Goldmine or you know Juncture sitting on a server, go make an update. You may have to move to a Redtail or Juncture Cloud or Wealthbox or Salesforce or whatever it is. You know, same with performance reporters. If you're using Black Diamond still sitting on a server, take a look at some of the, you know, Orion or some of these other programs. So just to be sure you move things off of your in-house server, which is the biggest pain point. I mean, I know moving performance reporters makes me want to quit. So I understand it is a nightmare, but it has to be done from time to time, especially if they're not going to offer something that's, you know, that's cloud-based. Uh, I would be looking for different systems. So I would say that's the biggest one. The other one is uh, I am, and I know there's a lot of advisors out there that are going to throw something at me, but I am not a fan of Outlook, uh, mainly because you do have to, if you want to move it off of your system, you've got to run an exchange server. It's expensive. It's clunky. They break. I'm a big fan of Google apps. And so, you know, mm -hmm. Google, we all know Google, you have Gmail email addresses, but if you email alan at xyplannetwork.com, that is actually a Google email address. It's five bucks a month. I can make as many email addresses, you know, each for five bucks a month that I want. It gives you a professional look, but it lets you use Google calendar, email, and everything integrates with Google. Uh, not everything integrates with, with Outlook anymore. So all the calendaring systems overlay Google Calendar, all of your document signing. You can hook it with your Google account. It syncs your contacts around. So that's the other one. If you're still using Outlook, 
uh, as much of blasphemy as I know it is, you may want to make a look or, you know, take a look at Google apps for business. Cause I think it's worth the move. Uh, I'll second that one. I'm just, I'm just over here hyping up your recommendation. <laughs> hey, we're uh, using the same tech stack. I love it. What's funny is a lot of our office still uses Outlook, but w- the back end of it is Gmail. Mm-hmm. And probably within the last year, I gave up Outlook. Once again, it was just clunky. It took forever to, to load emails. And well, actually, here's another thing too. When I switched to Google, I know a lot of people have folders for different emails. Mm-hmm. Now, just like you were saying earlier, Alan, you have a problem, you just Google it. If I'm looking for an email I sent, I just Google it right just inside the yep. inbox. And you don't have to take all that time where you feel like you're micromanaging your inbox anymore. You can throw tags, different things like that on there, but sure. it's a ton of time. And I can get it anywhere. I can log in, you know, doesn't have to just be my laptop where Outlook's loaded on it. So absolutely. And being an Apple guy, I mean, I'm more of an iPhone, Mac guy. Mm-hmm. All of it integrates beautifully with Apple. I haven't had any issues. Contacts, calendaring, email, all of that. Totally agree. Yeah, and, and I'm a you know I use PC for one more hour, and then uh, but I'm also iPhone now. I moved over from Droid recently. But and I do know one common question that advisors ask though whenever we say use Google, you can have it on your phone is about internet connection, which I actually think is a very fair concern that people have. You know, if you go to your local Starbucks and you just use the Starbucks Wi-Fi. I have a jetpack sitting around here somewhere that, you know, it's about this big and it's basically a hotspot. It turns, you know, cell phone signal into Wi-Fi. I can name that whatever I want. So I could name it something like Starbucks Guest. And then anyone that uses Starbucks Guest thinking they're using the actual Starbucks Wi-Fi, I can see all of their data running across my hotspot if I so chose. It is very, very easy to grab data, uh, especially with public Wi-Fi. So one thing is just go ahead. If you're getting a laptop nowadays, or if you have an iPad, go ahead and pay the extra money to have it connected to 4G and cellular so that you can just use Verizon or AT&T's data network. Those are not going to get hacked and they're not going to be grabbing your your data. Or if nothing else, grab a jetpack. They're free on a two-year contract now. But that allows you to, instead of using you know, Starbucks, you just cut it on, it grabs cell signal, turns it into Wi-Fi. You can run everything off of that. And it'll allow you to work securely. Because you know, if you're if you're virtual and you want to go work from a coffee shop, that's great. You should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to expose all your clients' information just because you want to go work from a coffee shop. So you do need to be a little more cognizant of uh, you know, keeping your computer locked and having passwords where they need to be and and you know, backing up your hard drive and things like that. So you do need to be a little more cognizant. So get up to speed on a few little things. But I don't want to overwhelm advisors. I know there's a lot to think about, uh, but it is baby steps and you can just kind of implement as you go. Well, uh, since we're on video here, I'll, I'll show you what my hotspots turned into right here on my phone. If you can see oh, it, yeah. <laughs> just, that, just that personal yep. hotspot. And, yep. and I used to be the guy I'd go to conferences and they'd try to upcharge you 200 bucks for a Wi-Fi login. <laughs> and so now I just pull out my phone personal mm-hmm. hotspot. So it really can be that easy. And like you said, you're at least on a secure network or Absolutely. at least hope you are. Um, you hope. <laughs> <laughs> so if Verizon or Google gets hacked, my, I'm not all that concerned because they have the best data security in the world. Google literally has armed guards with machine guns guarding their data servers. I am much more comfortable with those folks trying to protect the data than I am trying to protect it myself. So don't be concerned about Verizon getting hacked. It may happen, but they have the best technology in the world to protect your data. So I wouldn't be as stressed about it. 
you actually just gave me a marketing idea. As an advisor, Uh-oh. if you, if you want to stay on the server side, you just hire a machine gun guard <laughs> and, and you tell them how secure your server system is. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as we move off of that topic, any other tools or comments you want to throw out on the face-to-face to virtual? You know, it's just a transition. And I think ultimately it's in our heads more than it's in our clients' heads. Uh, Like many things that we do, uh, we're so concerned about clients' perception of it or what they're going to do. Are they going to leave? Are they going to change? You know, what if I don't have the right technology? You'll figure it out. Like, don't stress about it. Ultimately, we have incredibly strong relationships with our clients as financial advisors. My belief is that people don't wake up in the morning excited to go talk to a stranger about money. Uh, They did that with you. They came in, they hired you, they exposed themselves financially. They showed you things that their spouse doesn't know. You know, they told you about their hopes and their goals and their dreams and their demons. They showed you how they spend their money, which is uh, basically what they value. So, which is something again, that we don't share with people. Don't be concerned that they're going to just up and leave you for another advisor simply because you you asked to start doing some virtual meetings. Your relationships are stronger than that. And if they're not, I'd be willing to bet moving to virtual meetings wasn't what was going to cost you that client relationship anyway. So you know, trust the fact that we have great relationships with our clients, that you can continue to provide great service, maybe even better. Uh, and I think that's really that's really what it takes. So you know, all these tech tools, I know it can be overwhelming. Again, I like to tinker, so I like to get in and play with a lot of different stuff. But it doesn't have to be that hard. And join some sort of community of of like minded advisors. You know, the groups like yours that they can get in and interact with other advisors, be able to ask questions, be able to say, "Hey, this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? Don't try to reinvent the wheel. There are enough advisors out there doing this type of work that you don't have to figure out." Is RoboForm or LastPass the best? Just go ask a few advisors that are are using it. And if they all say LastPass, go pick up LastPass. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Really, my takeaway from this whole conversation is virtual does not have to mean you offer less of a service to your clients. In fact, Absolutely. most times, I would say it's more convenient. Hey, you didn't have to drive across town to come and meet me when you didn't really want to in the first place, right? You made it I easy. I totally agree. Yeah, especially because I work with young professionals that they've got kids, they've got spouses, they've got jobs, they can't take a half day in the middle of the day, and you don't want to work on the evenings and weekends to meet with them. It's just so much more convenient to say, hey, let's get on Skype. And now maybe they'll actually make every meeting instead of skipping half of them because they don't want to get a babysitter. So yeah, right. I totally agree. It's it's same service, if not better. And you know, just give it a shot. See how it works for you. All right. Well, you've done the easy part of the interview now, Alan. Are you ready for the tough part? All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for you to stump me. My, my dad always used to say, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with BS. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if that holds true here. <laughs> it won't be too bad. All right. So for this last part of the interview, I like to do a fun little kind of rapid fire question. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, some of the best answers I've ever gotten have come off this section. So I'm just going to throw a few at you. If it gets too hot in the kitchen, just hang up and we'll say that. <laughs> oh, we'll internet say connection. Bad. Yeah. Oh, no. Gotcha. (laughs) All right. So first one I want to start with, we'll start easy for you. You're a CrossFitter, right? Mm -hmm. You're, and I, I've CrossFitted. It's kind of a love hate relationship. I I explain CrossFit. Uh, (laughs) What, what is your favorite or least favorite CrossFit workout you've ever done? 
Annie double unders and sit-ups. It is, it is the only one I can just absolutely own and actually beat my older brother at. So, uh, I have an Annie time. He will never match. So, uh, that is the Annie is where it's at. <laughs> double under. Do you want to share with the listeners what your time is? So if they want to challenge you, I would have to go on, I'd have to go back and, and look, I'll tell you, uh, it has been a little while. I think it's like four minutes and Ah, 15 seconds or something like that. I, don't hold me to that, listeners. Um, I can double check. And, and by the way, for those of you that are listening that have never done CrossFit, and you're like, a four-minute workout? Well, that's not, <laughs> that doesn't even count as a workout. Say that and then go do Fran and then come back to me. But yep. CrossFit is just such a high level of intensity. It really doesn't have to take Agreed. Awesome. All right. So now your brother has a challenge that you can get that that's thing. That's it. <laughs> All right. Second question. What is your, um, this is gonna be a two-part question. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite book that you've ever read and why? Second part of that is what is your most gifted book that you've bought and, and handed out to friends or clients or relatives or whoever? And, and what was that book and why, why did you gift it? Oh, I love it because it's actually the same book. So you, you mentioned the name earlier, Tim Ferriss, Four-Hour Workweek. That was actually the book that changed my perception of what it means to be an entrepreneur. And so if you haven't read The 4-Hour Workweek, it's basically a play on the old 80-20-90-10 rule that you know we get 90% of our work done in 10% of the time. And it was then that I realized just how much time I was losing to just being inefficient and not being all that good at managing my own time. And to outsource the 10% of stuff that was taking 90% of my time. And uh, so that book is the reason why I made the move to Montana was because I read mm -hmm. that book and realized like, I can do this. I don't know why I'm not. So that was huge. I highly recommend it. And honestly, that is my most gifted book. That's the one that I, I send people, especially at budding entrepreneurs that are looking to get into you know running their own business because we get so stuck. The way things used to be and the way they've always been done, it's just a good way, I think, to kind of open your eyes to, hey, there, there could be other ways we could be more creative than, I guess, than, than we've been historically. I love, love Ferris. His podcast, just as a segue, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this. His podcast is one of my favorites. And uh, so if you're looking to get a lot of that same mindset stuff that you're talking about, Alan, uh, I'm sure you're a, a Ferris podcast listener, aren't you? Yeah, I, I do from time to time. I don't listen to every episode, but yeah, I, I definitely uh, send folks that way if they're podcast listeners. Cool. All right. Next question. When you hear the word success, who's the first person you think of and why? Oh, man. Suni Bala. He is a financial advisor in Colorado. Suni is a, uh, is a friend of mine. He runs a financial advisory practice. He has 30 clients, works 20 to 30 hours a week, has as many assets under management as he wants. And I say success because he's one of the advisors that I know, one of the few advisors, to be honest, that has identified their ideal life and built a business to support that ideal life. So I actually mentioned him earlier without saying his name. He's the classroom dad for his kid's school. That's what he wants to do one or two days a week. He goes on every field trip with his kids. He works as many hours as it takes to make the amount of money that he wants. And that's it. And he does the things that he wants to do. And so I would say he is a just a prime example of someone you probably don't know. If you don't show up to a NAPA conference, you wouldn't know him. But his success is, to me is not money. It's not ego. It's not brand. It's all about, are you living your great life? And he's somebody who I actually believe is. Mm -hmm. well, what's interesting about the financial services industry, there's a lot of very, very successful people on paper. And then when you look at their family life and their work-life balance, it's, it's not so much when you look the other way around. The, my term is 
you want to build a business that serves you, not you serving the business, right? And that's totally agree. The and it's prime hard. example you laid out there. Yeah, it's hard to do that. And I know as an entrepreneur, you always have new ideas. You always want to, you know, do something more. You always want to grow because that's our natural inclination. But yeah, if if things are not right at home, it will ultimately ruin your business. And so you've got to be able to take care of yourself while taking care of your clients in your business. As an aside, you've you've mentioned the term ideal life a few times. Is there a system or a tool that you've used to lay that out for you? I don't know that I have, you know, and, and one of the things too, is, is it's kind of funny, you know, I'm actually making, we've been talking about Montana. I'm actually making a move down to Nashville here in a couple of weeks, actually, because my mm-hmm. ideal life is changing. I still love to ski, but my business has changed. My personal life has changed. And so, you know, what I consider my ideal life three years ago is no longer where it is now. And so I think it's a constantly iterative process. It's basically doing financial planning for yourself. It's really sitting down and and identifying what's most important to you. You know, what do you want to be doing on a day-to-day basis? And so I don't know that I have... I'm a big fan with clients of using Kinder's three questions with the, the Life Planning Institute. I think that's a great way for advisors to dig into clients and maybe have somebody you know that's skilled with that be able to ask you those questions. But I think it's about having just honest conversations with your spouse or significant other or just yourself, if not just to say, I guess what look at what actually is it that makes you happy. You know, do you get excited to go to work in the morning? If not, make a change. You know, are you excited with with how things are going? If not, make a change. Yeah. Do you mind sharing a question or two of Kinder's? Yeah. So Kinder's three questions are if I, so if you were the client, I would ask you, I just want you to assume that you just won the lottery. You have $350 million, more money you've ever seen in your life. What would change about your life if I gave you unlimited money? Hmm. And usually people say, I'd travel more. I'd quit my job. I'd start this business. I'd give to charity. And you start to see it opens people outside of their bubble and allows them to break through that and see what is reality outside of the the, this kind of bubble that we've constrained ourselves to, not to be too philosophical or anything, but we do get into a rut. We get into kind of doing things the way we've always done them. And so give people unlimited time and money and suddenly the, the world is their oyster and they're listing out all of these things that they could do. And then the second question is you go to the doctor and he gives you the bad news with a silver lining. The bad news is you, you have a terminal illness. You have five to seven years to live. The silver lining is you won't be in pain. So you're not going to be in hospitals. You can do whatever you want. But in five to seven years, it's over. Uh, what would you do differently? Hmm. And that makes it a little more real because I mean, we all have an end date, but we don't like to talk about it. So if I give you an end date, suddenly it's no longer like, oh, in 10 years, I'd like to go to Europe. Now it's like, no, I really want to go to Europe now. I really want to spend more time with family. I, I don't want to be on my deathbed saying, hey, I worked hard. Yay, you and me. It allows you to start digging in a little bit more. And the third question, question is, if the doctor instead says the diagnosis is you have 24 hours to live, what would you regret? And what would you, what are, what are you proud of? To look at your past and just say, you know, are your values in the way you've been living really lining up with your future and what you hope to accomplish going forward? So I don't recommend just throwing those three, those three questions out, maybe go through Kinder's training, actually get a little more in-depth training on that. Because you will, as Carl Richards likes to say, he always tells his prospective clients, somebody's going to cry in this meeting and it ain't going to be me. That has been my experience as well. When you ask those questions, somebody will cry. So be sure you're ready to deal with it. But it's just a great way to, again, break out of the norm, break out of kind of your, your bubble and see, I guess, what does life look like if your artificial constraints are no longer there? Hmm. Oh, those are great. Thanks for sharing those. That's the first time I've heard those, surprisingly. The first one reminds me, uh, had Dan Sullivan on, the first one reminds me of his 10 times question. What, what would your business have to look like for your revenue if you took it 10 times what it is today? What would it have to look like to get there? And then once yep. again, not these incremental improvements, it's these 
when you open up big picture, it makes your, your mind work differently. It does. I, I love it. We had an advisor at, uh, or we had a, a workshop being led by a guy at, uh, at Schwab Impact last year, a conference I was attending, and the uh, and they they do war games. So if you've ever seen the the movie War Games, but they literally do war game planning of the government comes in and bans all commissions, and you're a hybrid advisor that sells annuities. What do you do? You know, and, and it just it's just like okay, everything changes, and suddenly what you do is you build a business that's ideal for the situation. And that's all I did was I looked at the situation. I said I want to serve younger clients, and no one seemed to have a model to do it. So I just said, well, whatever we've been doing won't work. So I'm just going to build a business for this, just to serve younger clients. I wanted to charge on a monthly retainer basis instead of you know commissions or or. AUM or whatnot, you just kind of build it. And whenever you get done with it, you realize, oh, you know, I actually built something that allows me to, again, live my great life, serve clients and ends up on, put you, you end up on podcasts talking about it because it's so <laughs> different from the industry norm, which is great. And I'm glad to have these conversations. It's funny to me that, that we're still talking about virtual meetings, like that we still have to have this conversation. You know, I, I, I kind of want to be talking like AB split testing of opt-in conversions on your website because that's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to get people marketing online first, you got to get a website that's actually half decent, like drop the lighthouse on the compass kind of thing. You've got to actually start meeting with your clients virtually. So it, it's fun, but it is the funny part of our industry. Baby steps, Alan, baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. This did happen in England. In England, they banned all commissions and actually going back to the Dan Sullivan conversation, he said, these are the only advisors that are still around. The ones that sold their process, not product. Absolutely. And you look at look at the world, the health world. Now, are they now? I guess some of them sell supplements, maybe, and make some money there. But in reality, you're paying for their coaching services. This person says, "Hey, you're overweight. I'm going to get you skinny. Follow my process." And I really don't view the financial advising world much different. It's it's here's how to manage your assets to live the the dream life that you want to live, either while you're doing it or during retirement or whenever. And the more the advisors that I see winning that, I don't want to call it a game. It's not a game, but mm-hmm. winning that battle yeah. are the ones that have a process that they're providing a high level of value. And it's not about individual products that are being sold. And Could not agree more. I love it. And it, this is a relationship business. We do a lot more managing of behavior than we do of money. Managing investments is easy. Come on. Mm-hmm. Go on a Vanguard account, you're probably going to beat the most financial advisors out there that are actively managing anyway. Like if that's your value add that you have a secret sauce on the investment side, that's going to be tough as the world changes, but you manage behavior. You help your client make great financial decisions. You help them experience their great life. They'll never leave you and they will tell all of their friends about you. Uh, Cause you know, as they say, people remember how we made them feel, not necessarily what we said to them. So mm-hmm. well, you've, you've been crushing these. I've got to come up with harder questions. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last one. Mm-hmm. If you could leave our listeners and viewers here today with some advice that's led to your success, what would it be? You know, it really is about breaking those constraints. I remember there was a, a little post that went around LinkedIn and it was, if you could go back to your 21 year old self and, and say two words, what would it be? And I actually spent a lot of time thinking about that, which is funny that, you know, those little posts it captured me. And what I came up with was ignore them. And for the advisors out there, I encourage you, ignore everyone else. Ignore me. Ignore you. Ignore everybody else that's telling you the way things are supposed to be done. They should be done. What will work, what won't work. 
build what's going to work for you because what worked for me may not work for you. You may think skiing sounds awful. I want to be sipping Mai Tais in Costa Rica six months a year. Great. You may say, I never want to travel outside of my hometown. Great. That's okay. Again, don't shoot on yourself. Ignore everything that, that everyone is telling you other than figure out what you want and then build it. Because the beauty of, especially as firm owners in financial planning, we have the unique ability to build businesses that truly support our life. And as you said, you know, the business that supports us instead of us supporting the business our entire lives, we have that ability. Uh, we're not a bakery that has to be open for 12 hours a day. You know, uh, we, we have some really unique abilities in our business. In addition to that, we have pretty awesome jobs. To be able to say like we help clients live great lives and really that is amazing. So own that and build the business that allows you to live your great life. Alan, I just want to say thank you. This has been an incredible interview. I had a blast on my side. So hopefully thank it was you so beautiful. much. This was fun. And uh, you're welcome back anytime, buddy. So that's it for now. Thanks for the time. And, and we'll catch up with you. I'm sure we'll be staying in touch. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. For more about the podcast or about the Elite Advisor Blueprint, be sure to visit bradj.net. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation. 